Ephesians 2, verse 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Fantastic. Good morning, everyone. I'm Etienne, and uh, my word of welcome to you as well. If you're a visitor here, you're with us for uh, number three out of six uh, of a uh, uh, sermon series for, for, uh, for the next 20 minutes, half an hour. I actually have a bit of a lot to get through this morning, so I'm going to have to work fairly quickly. Um, organic outreach, how do we... We if you are a Christian, and I recognize that not everyone here is, and I want to speak to you this morning in various points as well throughout the message, if, if you're not a Christian. Uh, uh, but if you are a Christian, how do you share the love of God uh, with others? That's what we're considering, that's what we're thinking about. And to do that, I want to step straight into this passage that Anika read so brilliantly to us this morning. There are some things that we can learn from it about uh, how do we do, how do Christians do evangelism? How do we love others with the love of God? So I'm going to first delve into the passage a little bit for the first half, and I'm going to use this strange contraption here. Forgot about the numbers. We're going to look about the other stuff here. It's a very strange contraption. Uh, and you're going to be utterly confused about what it's for and how it works until the end. So just hang with me, if you, if you will, please. A uh, passage that Anika read to us started with this. Uh, it, it, it sort of has, the first three verses has three parts to it, and it speaks really about Jesus' humility. And I'm going to tie this virtue of humility uh, to outreach today, but we'll see how it you know, becomes clearer as we go. But it starts talking about Jesus' humility, and it says three things about Jesus' humility. In the first instance, it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, Jesus is God himself, one of three persons in what we call the Trinity, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is the first thing we see about Jesus' humility. Uh, it's a step. I've got a jockey strap here that I hope will remain tied to both ends that goes down a step, right? Um, a symphony uh, orchestra, a conductor of a symphony orchestra was once asked, what's the most difficult instrument to play in an orchestra? He responded, it's the second violin. He said, I can find plenty of people who would play first violin. But finding someone who's happy to play second violin 
is the hardest of all. Without a second violin, we have no harmony. Philippians 2 verse 6 says to us that Jesus was a first violinist. He's on par with the other members in this Trinitarian Godhead, and yet he was happy to be considered second. He was happy not to use his first violinist status to his own advantage. He was happy to take a step down in humility and say, I'm happy to play second fiddle. But more than that, Jesus' humility goes lower. It goes another step down in verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story. Jesus, who as God, becomes a human being. There's a story by an author, J.B. Phillips, that an imaginary conversation between two heavenly beings, angels, if you will, who talks about this. And I think Mike and Nathan and Aidan acted something like this out to us a couple of years ago during a Christmas time. I just want to read it to you and take it in, take in the size of what it meant for Jesus to become a human being. The little angel, who's talking with a bigger angel, was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He has been shown whirling galaxies, blazing suns, infinite distances in the deathly cold of interstellar space, and to his mind there seemed to be an awful lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near to the star which we call our sun and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull and as dirty as a tennis ball a well-used tennis ball, to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, the senior angel said, pointing with his finger to the dirty little planet. Well, it looks rather small and dirty to me, said the little angel. What is special about that one? That, replied the senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited? Replied the little angel. You you don't mean visited by... Indeed, I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps overly clean, has been visited by the Prince of Glory. Jesus Christ came in. He visited a planet. If you're a Christian here, he visited your life. And he still wants to visit even more. For us to grasp, I think, the size of what this took in terms of his own Humility to get in. Get into our world 
become one of us is, is, is <laughs> it's, a, it's a miracle for us to, to appreciate, to grasp the sheer size of this step down in the, in the humility of, of Christ, that he, would, that he would come in. But then it goes another step down to its, its ultimate depths, this coming in, humbling love of God for us. Not only is he found in appearance as a person, as a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming death, obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's one thing to, as God of the universe, come in. It's another thing to die for the sins of those people. It's yet another thing to die on a Roman cross. This is a death reserved, remember, for the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of people. That's the death and the sacrifice he was willing to endure. And so, and so this humility, this coming in humility of Jesus... Ooh, oh, snap. Gets to its lowest point as he dies on the cross. Okay. If you're a Christian here this morning, let me lift out two of the most important things about this to do with outreach. If you're not a Christian here, um, you know, this whole series... I'm hoping we'll give you an insight to how God hopes for his people to love you. To love you well. Not to get you to uh, you know, do what they want you to do. Not to become what they want you to become. Not to have some ulterior motives, but to love you well. And so as you listen to this, if you're not a Christian, just... Perhaps, I hope, that, that, that this would in itself move you to what your Christian friends around you seek to do for you and with you. And if you are a Christian, this is what God seeks to do with you in the lives of those who don't know him. All right? Two things we can learn from Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8 so far. Number one, <laughs> outreach. Loving those who don't know Jesus involves humbly getting in. It involves humbly, lovingly, selflessly getting into the lives of those who do not know Jesus. Right? How much time do you spend? in the course of a week, with people who do not know Jesus' quality time. Okay? I'm not talking about smiling to the lady at the bank and being polite to the person who collects your garbage as he drives by in his truck. I'm, I'm talking about time. Quality time. Humbly, selflessly loving in the lives who don't know Jesus. How much time? In, in the context of a week, in the context of a month, in the context of a day. One of the things that getting in involves means making time. Prioritizing time for people who do not know Jesus. 
I'm quite aware that a lot of you spend most of your time with people who don't know Jesus. Maybe you live among a family who do not know Jesus. Maybe most of your friends are people who do not know Jesus, who are not Christians. Can I just talk to you, friend, this morning? Be encouraged. God has placed you in a context and in a place that is hugely significant. Continue to make time for those people among whom you live and who are your friends in the name and the love of Jesus. If you are like me, perhaps that requires a greater degree of intentionality and change in your life. I live in the inner, 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 inner part of the Christian bubble. <laughs> right? For a lot of us, we, it's Christian friends, Christian schools, Christian family. We only use the Christian plumber. We think our dog's Christian too. Right? It's... It's Christians, Christians, Christians. How much time? How, how much time do we have, and do we spend loving those who do not know Jesus? And how can we sow seed into soil upon which we never tread? Right? Reaching out with the love of God involves humbly getting in. It involves prioritizing space and time for people who don't know Jesus. Number two, it involves learning how to listen to people who don't know Jesus. The Zulus, it's an African tribe. Um, I grew up in Africa and there's a beautiful thing about how the Zulu people greet each other. They use a word, uh, sawabona. And it literally means... I see you. Not, I notice that you've come into the room, I notice your presence. It literally means, so, Borna, my brother, my sister, I see you. I hear you. I feel you. I value you. I understand you. I'm not trying to change you. I'm not trying to dump something on you. I just, I just see you. Just the truth is, if we're going to share the love of Jesus well with those who don't know him, we need to listen. We need to, without our agendas, simply listen. Jesus listened a lot. You'll notice that when you read your Gospels. This author, Charles Van Engen, says this, once we've begun to notice, listen to, make ourselves available for our neighbour, we can begin to understand our neighbour more completely. Notice that relational evangelism doesn't begin with speaking. It begins with listening, listening, and it may take a very significant amount of time and attention to listen well before we have won the right to speak. How often as Christians do we think this was a wasted conversation, a wasted meeting? I didn't get to talk about God. I didn't get to share why I was a Christian. But did I listen? Did I understand who this person was? their hurts, their fears, what makes them beautiful, how God loves them, what God seeks to do in their life, for their well-being. <laughs> do I know what that is? Do I care about what that is? Right? We need to learn to listen. Uh, it's one of the things we, we can grow in that it involves to get in, and, and listening is fairly easy, actually. 
And thirdly, we've got to try stuff. What's the right way to love a person in the name of Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is largely depending on who the person is. What's their temperament? What do they love? What do they struggle with? How do they tick? What has happened to them in their past? What is life for them right now? See, we love programs, often. We love five-step clear programs. Step one, step two, step three. Done. Move on. It doesn't work like that in sharing the love of Jesus because all people are different out of the six billion odd in the world. They are all different. They all have different ways of receiving love, of being loved, different languages of love that they even speak. And I, I, just, I just love that as a church, we're open to that as well, just by the way, corporately. I love seeing some of the stuff that we're doing with, with the hub. You know, there are a lot of people in our community, as an example, who are isolated, who are lonely, who, who what God really seeks to do in their life is just to plug them into a community where they can be with friends, get out of the house. If you can make cards, come. If you can string beads together, come. If you can paint, come. Right? This is for those people, what works. And we're trying it. And we're loving them. And we're loving them well. Right? So too, personally, you'll find in your lives that there are some people who love to read books. Great book. Some people who love to write long emails and think through things that way. Great. Correspond with them. Some people who love going fishing together. Great. Go fish with them. Some people who love footy. Great. Go footy with them. Everyone's different. And the only steps we can give in, in, in how to love people well is to say there's perhaps three steps. Pray for the people in your life who doesn't know Jesus. Spend time with them and listen to the Spirit's creative ideas that he might give you and how you can love them. How you love this one might be different to how you love that one. They're all different. Okay. So there you go. First thing. Outreach involves humbly getting in. It's by far the longest point of the day, so you're doing... <laughs> Very well. And can I, before I go on to point two, just say, this is a context to the whole series, okay? Often when leaderships or pastors pick a topic or a theme to preach about, like evangelism or outreach, the assumption can be there by the church that he's preaching about this because he thinks we don't do it or it doesn't happen. That's not true. I think you'll find in your small group discussions and your family discussions that you do a lot of this stuff already. <laughs> the truth is, I don't think any one of us on the scale here is here. I think, I think there's so much to celebrate in how we already get into the lives of people, how you do so as individuals. I know of some of it. There's a lot I don't know about. How we are listening to people, how we are creatively trying stuff. So I just want to balance it out and say, don't walk away from this stuff thinking, gee, we're bad. We're not. We're doing very well with this stuff. And I'm simply saying, keep going and keep thinking, what are the next steps? How can we listen better? How can we make more time? How can we substitute, etc., etc., etc.? Try different things. Okay. Outreach involves humbly getting in. Number two, and briefly, outreach involves sacrifice. It involves giving up stuff. Right? For Jesus, I don't have to dwell on it. it involved giving up his spot in heaven. Involved in sacrificial terms, obviously making the greatest sacrifice for humbly getting in. Right? For us, we'll start with small things, very small things. 
potentially the Holy Spirit says to us, how about you get them around for dinner? Them? What are we going to talk about? At our house? I, on Friday night? Giving up Friday night to hang out with it? Sacrifice, right? Uh, how about you catch up with her for a coffee Tuesday morning? Well, I normally meet with her on Tuesday morning and we talk about these sorts of things and if she's there, we can't talk about those things. Maybe you sacrifice what you normally would talk about for the sake of the other her, right? Here's a more tricky one. Maybe stop serving in this or that ministry in church. You're too deep into the bubble. Too many things. You need to sacrifice something in order to get out of the bubble. I think that happens. I think it's possible. And that comes with great sacrifice. <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds. Great sacrifice. Great cost. Emotional, time-wise, and often financial. To humbly and lovingly get into the lives who don't know Jesus, right? Firstly, it involves getting in, it involves sacrifice. Secondly, let me finish. Why would I do all this? <laughs> Here's the big question. Why would I do this? Why would I... <laughs> put myself through this level, these levels of discomfort, this level of stuff that I don't really want to do, getting into the lives of people who I maybe not really want to get into. I'm already time poor. Reconsider yet again how I spend my time. Why? Why would I do this? What's in it for me? Not that there should be anything in it for me, but I actually think there is something in it for you and for me. And here's what it is. We'll go back to Philippians. See, the thing about humility, the thing about humbly lowering ourselves to get into the lives of others has a strange effect. Imagine this contraption that I have here, and I didn't get as far as that to actually build this, nor do I think I could have within the workplace health and safety Restrictions that I need to operate within. But imagine this thing as a giant catapult, right? And, and down the bottom here hangs me, my life, or your life, or anyone's life. And the truth is, if the lower I stretch this thing down, if there's an imaginary lever that I pull to release it, the higher the thing that's hanging on it is going to be shot up, Right? The lower you go, the higher you get shot up. This is what happened with Jesus, because Philippians finishes with how high did he go? This is the humility that he showed. This is how low he went. How high did he go? Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore, already in the past, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. This is talking about the resurrection. Jesus goes into the grave. He goes into who knows what horrible places of hell, the lowest of the low, and what does God do? He says, I'm going to raise you up. That's Easter. And we look back on that and we say, yes, he was exalted. 
But more than that, Philippians says, that's not as high as he's going to go. He's going to go higher. In the future, the time is coming that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, every tongue, every single person who has ever lived will bow a knee to the man Jesus Christ, the Lord God Jesus Christ. Hitler's going to do it. Stalin's going to do it. Right? The guy who burned his wife and kids the other day in a car is going to do it. Everyone's going to do it. It's going to be a great day for some, and it's going to be a despairing day for others, but let's be real. That's what's going to happen. That's how high Jesus Christ is going to be exalted in the fulfillment and in the final time. Here's the deal then. Here's the deal. If that's how it was for Jesus, and you as a Christian, your life operates on the same principle as his, that's how it's going to be for you. The lower you go, the higher you'll get. Right? Let me finish. What are some of the highs that you're going to get to? Well, firstly, of course you're going to go as high as, you know, when Jesus, we're sitting on the right hand of Jesus. If you're in Jesus, if you have responded with faith to him, you are in him and you will be exalted one day after your death. You will be raised and you will be with him. You have that then. But you have more than that. There are other heights in this life that humbly and selflessly getting into others you will also reach. Let me give the practical here and now ones. Not just the there and then ones, but the here and now ones. Okay. Number one. Humbly and sacrificially reaching out to others will lift up your happiness. It will make you a happier person. I don't know about you, but in general, the happiest people who I've met in life are the most humble people who are happy to give of themselves for the sake of others. Just is true, isn't it? The most miserable people who I've met, who live the most self-destructive lives, who are the unhappiest people, are those who live for themselves. Greed, selfishness, egotism. Humility makes us happy. Humbly getting into the lives of others sacrificially will make you a happier person now. Number two, humbly and sacrificially getting into others' lives makes you beautiful. No one loves an arrogant jerk. No one. And if you would like to reach out to those in your life who, who, who don't know Jesus, you've got to look beautiful. Imagine your unbelieving friend saying, you know what, she is one beautiful person. I don't agree necessarily with what she believes, but I can't deny the fact that she is beautiful. She's stunning. He is one incredible bloke. I don't believe what he believes. But gee, I wouldn't mind if my life turns out like his. 
humbly, sacrificially getting in. And here's the last thing, I think the biggest thing. Humbly and sacrificially getting into the lives of others makes you credible or trustworthy. Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, said to us that if you want to persuade someone of something, you've got to convince them of three, you've got to convince them at three levels. If I want to convince you to buy this shirt, it's a great shirt. I love it. <laughs> I want to convince you to buy it, right? I need to convince you at three levels. Number one, in Greek, logos, reason. I've got to convince you this is a good shirt. The fabrics are better than other fabrics, right? Facts, figures, truths. Logos, reason. Number two, uh, pathos, feelings. I've got to convince you that you're going to feel good if you wear this shirt. You're going to look good. Others are going to think that you're extremely handsome. It feels good to wear this shirt. It is not only factually a good shirt. It, it feels good to wear this shirt. You get it in your head. You get it, the warm feeling about it. And those two things are not the biggest. Here's the biggest, the third one, ethos. I need to convince you that you can trust me. If I'm going to get you to pay a hundred bucks for this shirt, you need to trust me that this shirt is worth paying for. And I believe that Jesus loves me. I believe that he came to die for me. I see the reason in it. I can sort of feel the warmth or the value of, that, it, that it gives to my life, that I'm so loved by God. But ultimately, I trust you. And so I'll consider it. Humbly and sacrificially getting into the lives of others will exalt us to levels of trustworthiness from which people will listen. We need to love. We need to pray. We need to humbly and sacrificially enter. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you, <laughs> you've come to us. Not just 2,000 years ago, but today, here, now. Thank you. Continue to expand in us the true size of that decision, that love and that humility. We fail to grasp it so often. And as you increase that in us, increase in us the similar desire to be like you, Lord, to not consider equality something to be grasped, to be happy to play second fiddle, to be happy to look at the ways in which you may call us for our own sake, for our own joy, for our own happiness. Lord, to enter and lovingly get into the lives of those who do not know you. We pray for it and we ask for it because we know that you will help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.